Well, take a copy of uh, a Bible and turn with me to Deuteronomy, once again, Deuteronomy chapter 1. This morning we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 9 through 18. Deuteronomy 1, beginning in verse 9. Let's hear the word of the Lord. At that time, I said to you, I am not able to bear you by myself. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. May the Lord The God of your fathers make you a thousand times as many as you are and bless you as he has promised you. How can I bear by myself the weight and burden of you and your strife? Choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I will appoint them as your heads. And you answered me, the thing that you have spoken is good for us to do. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and set them as heads over you, commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, commanders of fifties, commanders of tens, and officers throughout your tribes. And I charged your judges at that time. Here, the cases between your brothers and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the alien who is with him. You shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone for the judgment is God's. And the case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me. And I will hear it. And I commanded you at that time all the things that you should do. Well, I want to ask you to imagine uh, for a moment a donkey. A donkey under a heavy load. A pack animal who is overloaded and struggling. Struggling to find his footing, slipping, and he's braying out in in pain under the load. I think it's helpful to have that image in mind as we get started here because that is basically how Moses describes himself in these verses, like an overloaded pack animal. Moses cries out under the weight and the burden that he is carrying. And I wonder, I wonder if you can identify with Moses there, with feeling the feeling of being overloaded, feeling exhausted, the, the feeling of being burdened by caring for others. Maybe, uh, maybe, you're, a, maybe you're a parent uh, caring for your kids. Maybe you have one particular child that's especially demanding of you. Maybe 
Maybe you're a, a son or daughter caring for an aging parent. Maybe you're a caregiver of another sort, caring for a relative or a friend. Maybe, maybe you uh, are in a position of leadership, say, in the workplace, and you carry the weight of responsibility that sometimes feels like a heavy burden. You know what it's like to be in a position of leadership where, where people are constantly relying upon you to, to look out for them. If that's, if that's you, if, if you have felt the burden of giving yourself away for the care of others, then the book of Deuteronomy is for you. <laughs> this passage is for you. It's hard to imagine anyone who had to carry a greater burden of leadership than, than Moses, isn't it? Moses, Moses was, he was an incredible leader when you think about it, um, used by God to, to lead Israel out of bondage in Egypt, um, leading the people of Israel through the years of wilderness wandering where they were constantly murmuring and complaining and, and bickering with one another. And in one sense, as we still just begin to step into the book of Deuteronomy together, one thing we need to appreciate is that in one sense, Deuteronomy is a book that's all about leadership. I, I mentioned last Sunday that the book of Deuteronomy is a, a series of sermons that Moses preached to Israel, his, his last messages to the people before he died. But it's a series of sermons that is really framed by a succession narrative. It is about the transition of leadership from Moses, who will be succeeded by Joshua as the leader of God's people. And, and right in the middle of this book, we'll also find a lot of details about um, Leaders in Israel like prophets, priests, and kings. And so the book of Deuteronomy has a lot to say about leadership. And Moses here, if you like, is, is engaged in leadership development. He is concerned about the future of God's people and their care. Moses understood that Israel needed good leaders. Paul, in the New Testament, had the same concern for churches as they were planted and as they were developed. And, and I can't think for a, for, of a better time for us than to think about a passage like this as, as we have just begun the process of, Lord willing, uh, nominating men for the office of elder and seeing them trained and examined and uh, perhaps appointed to serve in that capacity and lead here at Trinity Presbyterian Church. So there's a lot for us to learn here, and I want us to consider this passage in uh, three parts. Okay, so first is the the burden of of leadership in verses nine through twelve. Uh, second, the appointment of leadership in verses thirteen through fifteen. And then thirdly, the duties of leadership in verses 16 through 18. So first of all, the, the burden of leadership in verses 9 through 12. 
And if you can still find a bookstore that's open today, um, if you go into a lot of them, you'll, you're, you're likely to find uh, an entire uh, section of books on the topic of leadership. Many of them uh, primarily about you know, corporate leadership, business leadership, how to lead well in the workplace, how to, how to manage people, and, and how to get stuff done. And a lot of those books on uh, leadership focus on you know, leveraging your strengths and, and minimizing your, uh, your weakness to, to, to maximize your effectiveness. That, in a nutshell, is a, a summary of the message of self-help, 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 <laughs> there it is, self-help leadership books. Um, now, what's, what's interesting about that is God's criteria in contrast for choosing leaders runs counter in many ways to what we could call conventional wisdom. You know, our culture equates strength with things like abilities, uh, giftedness, charisma, results, and effectiveness. But, but God, first and foremost, favors leaders who are well acquainted with their inabilities, with their limits. Leaders who know that in and of themselves, they are weak and ineffective. Moses, for example, and now this is, uh, I'm appreciating this with new depth as I just stumbled over my own words. Moses had some kind of speech impediment. According to Exodus chapter 4, verse 10, he, by his own admission, was not an eloquent speaker. He said he was slow of speech. He, he struggled to communicate well, think about that. The great leader of Israel struggled with some kind of speech impediment. And it, it looks like he also struggled with anger issues throughout his life. But one of Moses' great qualities as, as a leader is that he knew his own limitations. And he was incredibly open and candid and honest about them. Now just think about that for a minute. You've got thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people depending upon you for guidance. And this is not only a family of people, this is a nation and an army. And we have to recognize that it, it would be hard to admit your weaknesses and your limitations with that kind of responsibility placed upon your shoulders. You know, you, you, you don't want anyone to see the chink in your armor. But Moses wasn't afraid to openly admit his limitations. He's vocal about his weakness in verse 9 and verse 12. If you want to have a look at that again, he says, At that time I said to you, I am not able to bear you by myself. How can I bear by myself the weight and burden of you and your strife? You see, Moses, Moses doesn't pretend. He, he doesn't act like he can do what he cannot do. He openly confesses his inability 
And we, we need to appreciate this. This is really, really hard for, for leaders to do. I'm not sure exactly how you do it well. Because you know, maybe, maybe because of pride. Uh, may, maybe because of uh, unrealistic expectations placed upon leaders. Maybe it's pressure to perform. Maybe it's some combination of all of those things or other things. But this is so hard for leaders to do because they are constantly tempted to protect their image. They, they want to project strength and wisdom and having everything put together. Now I could go, I, I could talk here about my, myself, but I, I want to ask you today, how, how about you? Don't, don't you find this to be true? Do, do you ever feel pressure to perform? Do you ever feel the, the need to try to keep up with unrealistic expectations that are placed upon you? Do, does pride ever keep you from admitting you need help? Or do you know your limits? Do you know your weaknesses? Are you, are you willing to ask and accept help from other people? You see, asking for help, first of all, requires admitting that you need it. And, and there's the rub for some of us. It's worth noting, as we keep looking at this passage, that the reason Moses could not bear the burden of the people in part, was precisely because God had blessed them. Isn't that interesting? God had blessed them. God's blessing brought greater responsibilities and additional burdens. You see that in verse 10, where Moses says, The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven, as he had promised Abraham. But you see the point that's being made there. Sometimes God's blessing brings additional burdens. For example, you know, if, if, you're, if you're a parent, you, you know, children are a blessing from the Lord. And yet at the same time, if you've been a parent, you know that there are seasons, there are times of parenting where it, it, it's a burden as well. Children are a blessing, yes, but parenting can also be a burden at times. God's blessing can bring new burdens. And church leaders, you, you see, God, God could cause a church to grow. And we need to understand that it comes with the burden of caring for, for more people, of, of ministering to them. More, more leaders are, are needed to, to share the load. And when God causes a church to grow, it, it also means that uh, there, there will be this, this burden of figuring out how to accommodate new people. And or how, to, how to fit them in. People with different backgrounds and different experiences. People with different concerns and desires. People, people with different giftedness. Figuring out how to fit them all together as one body, one people, serving the Lord in unison, and unity. New people bring new blessings, 
but can also bring additional burdens. And look, church, church leaders could be, could be tempted to think, well, well look, we, we, we've, got, we've got enough to do. We've got enough on our plates. Let's just, let's just focus on caring about the people that we, we already have and, and not worry about trying to reach out to, to others. I mean, don't we have enough on our hands already? We can understand that kind of thinking. But notice, that is not at all Moses' attitude in verse 11, is it? Moses could have said, look, I am already swamped, I'm already overwhelmed, I've got way more than I can handle already, but that isn't what he says. Look at what he says in verse 11. He says, may the Lord, the God of your fathers, make you a thousand times as many as you are and bless you as he has promised you. You see, even though he is overwhelmed by the sheer number of people under his care, Moses asks for a thousand times more according to God's promise. He, see what he does? He appeals to God's promise and his promise to, to bless and multiply his people, to, to fill the earth with his glory, which involves lots and lots and lots and lots of people. I think there's a couple of lessons here for, for us. You see, Moses, on the one hand, is honest about his limitations, and on the other hand, he has an incredibly bold faith in God's promises, doesn't he? And, and here's the lesson for us. The first lesson is that our limitations do not limit God. Right? Even as we acknowledge our inability, we must never underestimate God's infinite ability. We, we need to hold those things together. Our weakness and God's infinite strength. So that we say, look, I can't do it. I can't handle it. It's more than I can bear. But it isn't too much for God. May, may he bless this church. May he bless this people. You know, way beyond what, what Pastor Jared could ever do. Way beyond what the elders could do. Way beyond what any of you could do for this church. That is how we should think, dear brothers and sisters. I can't do it. But what can God do? The second lesson this teaches us is... That weakness in our lives serves to underscore God's power. You know, Moses is a, he's a great preacher. We're going to see that as we work through the book of Deuteronomy. And as he articulates his own weakness here at the beginning, it really serves to point us to God's power as the book unfolds. And so, for example, Moses says here in verse 9, I cannot bear you by myself. But then in this same chapter, later on in verse 31, he reminds the Israelites how the Lord carried them as a father carries his own son. You see the contrast. I can't carry you. I can't bear you. And then he goes on to tell them the story of how God carries them as a father bounces his son on his hips. 
And at the very end of the, the book, the contrast pops up again. So just before Moses' death in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verses 26 and 27, Moses concludes this, this song that he sings. And he sings, There is none like God, O Jeshurun, who rides through the heavens to your help, through the skies in his majesty. The eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. You know that gospel song we sometimes have, have sung, um, leaning on the everlasting arms? It comes from this, Deuteronomy 33. But you see what Moses does. He begins by saying, I can't bear you. I, I can't carry you. But underneath are the everlasting arms. I can't do it. But there is one who can. God's power is displayed in our weakness. And that is, that is a lesson that good leaders will communicate clearly to God's people. That brings us to the second thing, um, the appointment of leadership in verses 13 through 15. Moses not only acknowledges his inability to bear the burden by himself, he, he also accepts help from others. He appoints other leaders and, as Paul puts it, equips the saints for the work of ministry. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't hoard the leadership to himself. He doesn't try to micromanage others. He, he gives ministry away. Look at how he puts it in verse 13. Choose for your tribes wise understanding, and experienced men, and I will appoint them as your heads. Now, this might sound kind of strange at first, but, but follow, follow with me. This, this is one of the reasons Trinity is a Presbyterian church. We are, what do I mean by that? I mean, a number of things by that, but one of the things I mean by that is we are not led by a single individual, praise God, we, we are led by a, a plurality of, of elders. So the biblical teaching about a plurality of leadership, it, it reflects the, the wisdom, for example, in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desires. He breaks out against all sound judgment. I think that's especially true of Men in ministry, just think about all of the, think about the sad scandals and, and falls that you, you, we've, we've heard about in, in recent years. And you think about some of those stories, one of the common threads running through all of them is pride. Pride that leads individuals to isolation and, you know, hoarding leadership, consolidating Authority, guys who, who refuse to admit that, that they need help, they need accountability, that they're, they're weak and vulnerable, and they, so they try, to, they try to go off on their own. And they, all the while, they try to man, uh, maintain an image of, of strength and wisdom and authority, and, and it never ends well, does it? It always ends in disaster because it is not good for man 
to be alone. And that's certainly true when it comes to the issue of leadership. But this pattern of, of uh, plurality of leaders among the people of God, we, we need to appreciate that this principle continues today in the church. Paul, Paul tells us in Ephesians 4 that when Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father, that he gave a, a plurality of, of leaders to equip the saints for the work of ministry. This was Paul's church planning practice as well. In Acts chapter 14, verse 23, it's made clear that the goal of Paul's missionary journey, his missionary endeavor, was to establish well-ordered churches, which included, involved the appointment of elders, men chosen from among them, from each congregation in every church. And we've got a We've got another example of that in Paul's letter to Titus. You remember he, he, he goes through the island of Crete. Churches are, are uh, beginning to emerge. And Paul says, I've left you on the island of Crete, Thailand, uh, Titus, to put things into order. And the first matter of business, Paul says, is to appoint elders in every town. And we see this very same dynamic that I'm talking about at work here in the book of Deuteronomy. God's people uh, voting or choosing their leaders as well as the pre-existing leadership vetting and appointing those new leaders. It It is Presbyterianism at work. God's people led by elders. So Paul, Paul told his protege Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And then in the very next verse, Paul, Paul goes on to say to Timothy, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus. Now that, that kind of military language Uh, really gets my attention as I look at it alongside of this passage in Deuteronomy. It it fits in with our passage. This raising up of new leaders is described in Deuteronomy with military language. Notice notice Moses points leaders in verse 15, and they're called commanders. Now that word appears four times, commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, commanders of fifties, and commanders of tens, and officers throughout your tribes. Now, what's striking about this is that the church in the New Testament, which is described in a number of ways, right, body of Christ, temple, uh, family of God, household of God, bunch, bride of Christ, we could keep going, But one thing we should not forget, one way the New Testament church is described is as an army. As an army, soldiers of Christ. Not not an army fitted for war against flesh and blood. Don't misunderstand me. But the church is a group of soldiers enlisted as soldiers of Christ. And friends, I, I wonder, I, I really wonder sometimes if today we've, we've lost that concept, that, that way of thinking about the, the church, that yes, we are a family and that is precious, but, 
we are also a host, uh, a military unit. And, and sometimes we need to remember that we, we need to organize um, and we need to operate and we need to regiment ourselves accordingly. The church is an army and, and we are not living during times of peace. We are engaged in a military conflict. And so Paul reminds Timothy that no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits because his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Soldiers don't get distracted when the war is on right? because they want to serve. They want to serve the one who enlisted them with all of their strength and might and energy. And, and I wonder, I wonder if we recovered that sense of urgency that comes along with understanding the church is a military unit at work, if we might have greater conviction about serving the one who has enlisted us. That, that brings us to the third part of this passage, uh, the duties of leadership in verses 16 through 18. When, uh, when Moses describes the burden, he he cannot bear by himself in, in verse 12. He, he zeroes in on the strife of God's people that is the most unbearable thing of all. You see, it wasn't merely caring for, for so many people that, that overwhelmed him. It was their sin. It was their sin. It was their strife that weighed him down, that that sapped him of all of his energy. That's what was really heavy. It was the conflict and the strife and the disputes and the complaining that was, that was killing Moses. All of that was too much for him to deal with. You see, friends, when, when, when God's people are united in, in heart and, and mind and, and mission, uh, Hebrews talks about um, being a, a joy for leaders to serve. How blessed it is when brothers dwell together in unity, Psalm 133. But it, the reverse is also true, isn't it? How, how miserable a thing it is when, when brothers divide with one another. Nothing saps the strength of a leader like conflict and strife. Internal conflicts have a way of doing greater damage than virtually any other enemy could. And so despite all of Moses' leadership gifts, mediating all of the disputes was beyond his ability alone. And so this is what Moses called other leaders to help with. This is what, you remember the story of his father-in-law Jethro who saw Moses trying to mediate all of these disputes, and he came to him and said, what you're doing is not good. You need others to, to help you in this work. And Moses took that to heart. And here we see him recounting how he appointed leaders in verses 16 through 18. He says, And I charged your judges at that time, hear the cases between your brothers and judge righteously, between a man and his brother or the alien who is with him. You shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is 
gods. And the case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me and I'll hear it. I commanded you at that time all the things that you should do. Now, what's at the core of Moses' instruction to these new leaders? The, the, the core principle is you must judge righteously. And then Moses unpacks for them what that means. What does it mean to judge righteously? First, he says you, you've got to hear the case. Now, that might seem like a, like a throwaway, no-brainer, but, but it is really tempting for individuals in positions of, of leadership to hear a matter and to quickly jump to conclusions. And to not really hear it all the way through. To quote chapter and verse and say, you know, here's the passage that applies, be done with it. Um, it, is, it is very easy to say you have heard a case when you actually haven't given real consideration to the individuals involved, their responsibilities in and their, their vocations, the relational dynamics at work, um, the background, the context, because nothing happens in a vacuum. You see, it's easy, all too easy for, for leaders to quote chapter and verse and to come to some kind of decision or ruling when in fact they are reflecting the, the Pharisees of whom Jesus said that, uh, you know, you, 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 you abide strictly by the law, but... When in in fact, (laughs) you neglect the weightier matters of the law, matters of justice and mercy and faithfulness. And so first of all, judging righteously involves learning to listen well. Judging righteously also means showing no partiality. Moses really emphasizes this, being, being fair to all. It's accented in this passage by Moses saying, that you will not show partiality even in a case between your own brother, a fellow Israelite, and a, and a foreigner, an outsider. Moses is saying that the, the sojourner, the foreigner, gets the same kind of justice as the Israelite. There's no preferential treatment in the hearing or judgment of a matter. And judging righteously also means you don't fear anyone but God. I want you to think about that for a second. Think, think about it in the context of, of church leadership today. Right? What, what if you have to lovingly and gently confront someone about um, some sin that they are caught in and you, you, you know that the moment you do it, they're going to, they're going to engage in character assassination. They're going to slander you. Or what if, you, what if you are a leader in a, in, a, in a small church with a shoestring budget and one of your main donors is living in unrepentant sin and is prideful and refuses to acknowledge it? What, what, if, what if standing up for a victim of abuse means that the wrath of the abuser is now going to shift from the abuse toward you? You see, the the fear of man can be a real hindrance in judging righteously, in doing what is right, in walking in the truth. And 
This kind of work, when it comes to dealing with disputes among God's people, I, I think one of the best illustrations is to say it's, it's, it can often be a bit like dismantling a bomb, right? It, it, it is very easy for things to blow up when you enter into the differences that, that separate people. It's potentially explosive. And wisdom, wisdom is needed to know the right course of action. That's why Moses says they must be wise, experienced men. It's not uncommon for the issue to get complex and for people to not even come to the point of agreeing on what the issues actually are. So it's no wonder Moses says to these these new leaders, you shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone for the judgment is God's. In other words, their decisions are to be reflective of, of God's will in that situation, conformed to uh, the teaching of his word. And he says, the case that's too hard for you, bring to me and, and I will hear it. Now, I want to ask you to, to step back from those details for a moment and consider with me the, the message of this passage as we've looked at it. Okay, at the start, Moses says that the collective weight of Israel's problems, of Israel's strife, of Israel's sin, is too much for him to bear. And now at the end of this passage, Moses says there are going to be cases that are just too difficult for you, too hard for you. The, the sin of the people amounts to a burden that no mere man can bear on his own, and it creates cases that are too hard to resolve. Now, where does that leave us? Well, it leaves us in, in need of, of a leader who is able to bear the weight of the burden of all of our sin and strife, and a leader who is capable of resolving our difficult cases of conflict and bringing about justice, a just resolution. So you've got to ask the question, who, who is that? Who, who, who's capable of carrying that kind of weight and resolving these difficult matters? The answer, the answer is our Lord Jesus Christ. He and he alone can bear us by himself and take up hard cases and render perfect justice. I want you to think about that second part for a moment. Rendering righteous judgment for a second. Think about it. It, This is an aspect of the message of the gospel that we really need to appreciate. Christ promises to administer perfect justice. There's lots of talk in our society right now about justice, about social justice. And some of those conversations are, are, are good, but I think we also have a sense that our culture is, is really confused about what justice actually is and you see the gospel speaks with 
such a relevant uh, message, though, to the desire for true, real, lasting justice. Even, even now in, in the church, we're taught in the New Testament that Christ is continuing to raise up leaders among his people to, to help deal with cases. And, and, and their thinking and concerns and, and judgment is to be reflective of God's own heart. His own concern for justice and truth and what is right. But we also have to recognize that in this world, that even leaders in the church can, can get it wrong. And we've got to recognize that even when leaders in the church or authorities outside of the church make a decision about a matter, and it's right, it's according to the truth, that nevertheless the case remains unresolved. And, and innocent parties continue to endure what is unjust, what is not right. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, you, you've had a case, you've tried to do the right thing, and, and yet there's just no resolution, there's no justice. What, what does the gospel say to you? It says that Jesus is a leader who will take up your case, and he will render righteous judgment. Your case will be heard, and the judgment will be God's. And that is good news, isn't it? It's wonderful news for anyone who truly longs for justice, for what is right. Our good and wise king, who rules over the world, will not tolerate injustice forever. But my friends, the other aspect of this that we need to appreciate quickly here is that Moses talks about a burden he, he could not bear. This passage tells us that our sin creates a burden that no church leader can bear for you, that I can't bear for you, and frankly, you cannot bear yourself. But... Here's the incredible news of the gospel. That God sent his own son to bear the weight for you and, and, and for me. See, the one who is the supreme judge who will render a righteous judgment, who not only executes perfect justice, bore the full weight of the burden of our sin and the weight of God's judgment so that he could lift the burden off of our back. Have you ever asked yourself the question, what does your sin weigh? What does the sin of the world weigh? What would happen if all of the sins of all of God's people were placed on the back of one man? What would that mean? All of the strife, all of the hatred, all of the things that rip and tear people apart placed on the back of one man. You see, my friends, the collective weight of our sins that Jesus bore, it is simply incomprehensible. Isaiah says he was crushed for our iniquities and the collective weight of our sin 
meant that Jesus descended into hell. And, and yet, and yet, it could not hold him down. He got up again. And, and brothers and sisters, you see what that means for us with that burden lifted off of our backs. The gospel says we can enter into the work of peacemaking. We can enter into the work of seeking to gently restore those who have been caught in a transgression. And this is all the fruit of Jesus bearing the burden of our sin for us. So I simply want to ask you, as, as we wrap up, have, have, have you brought that burden that is too heavy for you to carry to Jesus? The one who says, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and, and I will give you rest. Have, have you gone to Jesus with the burden of all of your strife and all of your, your sin? If you haven't, why don't, why don't you do it today? And if you have, praise God and hear the call of the Apostle Paul to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us today. We thank you for one greater than Moses who is able to bear the burden of our sin and our strife, and we thank you that he, he came to carry the burden of our sin to the cross, to take it away from us. And we thank you that he is a, a righteous king and a righteous judge who is promised to deliver justice to us. And we ask now that as we uh, come to the Lord's table, table he has given to us, that uh, by the Holy Spirit, we would enjoy fellowship with our Savior, our sin bearer, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.